And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Be seated, please. When you have a task set before you, like the one that is set before us, sometimes the task is just not well articulated by the person trying to lead the task. So we find ourselves in our little uh, clear folder. I told you every week I'd give you, or, or every time I'd preach, I'd give you a new one. Notice that you don't have a new one. I'm going to go back and reach you my cabbage. I didn't like the first go around. I don't want to rush through this particular page of information because it's, it's highly important. There are those at times who will take some of these key things about them and write them in the first portion of their books as they start. And that's a good place to kind of have that general information to know where we're going in this particular book. The book of Genesis is titled that because it's the beginning. And what we're going to see is the beginning of everything. And for our purposes in this study, what we're going to see is the beginning of a, of a scarlet thread. It's going to run through every single verse and every single word that's found after Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, from the word in, throughout the last chapter of the book of Revelation, through the word amen. The entirety of this book that you hold within your lap or in your hand is solely, solely about Jesus. And if we miss that from the beginning, we will miss that all the way through. It is God who reveals himself through this first book. And he, the key phrase, I guess, if you had to have one, would be in the beginning, God, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. That's a key phrase because of the emphasis that it holds. Before this, there was nothing. Before this, God had said nothing. God had done nothing. God had not created. And it is the fact that God said that everything that we have exists. It is the fact that when God said, let there be animals and plants and stars and rivers and mountains, that by the very authority simply of His speech, it happened. This is the God of the Bible. We are being introduced by Moses, who is the uh, human penman of this book, to this God who is superior to every other God you and I will read about that's found within that book or it's found within human history. We will see a God who produces for mankind all of his physical needs. What a great God this is. We'll see a God in this particular book that provides for man all of his spiritual needs. And when you've provided all of his physical needs, when you have provided all of his spiritual needs, what else does he need? He's complete. He's whole because of the one who is found 
in Genesis. Genesis is part of the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament that you and I would recognize as the Old Testament. This is the book or the series of books in which the Apostle Paul has four doctorates. You hear what I said? Nearly a doctorate for every single book. His, his four degrees are in the Pentateuch. Is it important? Is Genesis important in that? Absolutely. It absolutely is. And when you and I look at the beginning of all of these things, when we look at this particular page of information that you might look at and go, that's just a whole bunch of stuff. Realize that in these 50 chapters, you're looking at about 2,500 years of history. About 1,600 years of that history is found in the first six chapters. This book is the keystone to the other 65. Without the knowledge of it, you and I are going to be very, very uh, short in understanding who God is. There's the first marriage that we see, the first man, the first woman, the first children, the first flood, the first judgment on man, the first time men have gotten themselves together and think they can outsmart God. We see the first mention of Abraham and that promise coming in the book of Genesis. We see the Messiah from the third chapter forward. We see the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 being mentioned as the seed of woman. He, that's the pronouns there, where God has exclusively removed the females of our race, human race, as the Redeemer. We see him in Genesis chapter 12 as he's mentioned as the one who would be the... Uh, uh, the by, by him all nations of the world would be blessed. I'm sweating already. It is by him that we find out that it will be through the, the, uh, the family of Abraham. It is in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10 that we find out that it will be through the tribe of Judah. Oh, we find out plenty about the Messiah in the book of Genesis. When you and I look at the book of Genesis, it kind of breaks itself down. The first 11 chapters, there are four fantastic events. Creation. An event that has never happened since, nor did it happen before. And it was supernatural as God would speak and those things would be created. You know how chickens come about nowadays? Other chickens. That's not a trick question. Other chickens. You know how they came about on day six? God said, let there be chickens. Don't miss out on that fact. What an unbelievable uh, set of events in six days that would have happened by God simply speaking. And then there's the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, where, where man, or God has told man... Don't eat it. Stay away from it. Avoid it. Perhaps the question then becomes, why even put it there? Hey, that's a good question. Why put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there in that garden if he didn't want them to eat it? It's a great question. Because God did not create robots. 
God instilled in us free will. And with free will, there has to be at least the opportunity to choose wrong. God doesn't want people, he can say, you have to do this and that and this other. God wants people to love him and to want to do those things because they love him. And in Genesis chapter 3, with the fall of man, what we see is a man and a woman who have decided to place themselves on the throne of their heart and take God off of it. Now, that is a gigantic event in the, the point of human history. That is, at this point in time, in Genesis chapter 3, that is the turning event in human history. Why? Well, because humans were walking right beside God, and now, not so much. But we'll get to that in just a moment, maybe. The flood. One of the great uh, events that happens in Genesis chapter 12, the fir- or Genesis chapter 6, the first 12 chapters, you have the flood. In a place where it had never rained before, where we read and understand that uh, the water was, or the, the ground was sort of watered by a mist that would come up from the ground and not that would fall from the sky. And Noah would be the guy who said, y'all need to get on this boat, it's going to rain. And the people around him would say, what is rain? And after 150 years, Michael, after 100 or 120 years, after all that preaching that he did and all those captivating audiences, he had eight folks on that boat. Was it a success? He sure was. For two reasons. One, he did what God said. Secondly, his family did what God said. When you look in the first 11 chapters... You see nations and languages being formed, especially in chapter number 11. As these men gather themselves together and say, we're not going to be caught off guard by God anymore. We're going to build that tower so high that God can't flood it. (laughs) Best of luck to you. You know what God says about mankind there, that they are so united in a front, whether it be evil or good, they're so united that there's nothing that can stop them. He must confound the languages. Everybody knows they spoke Southern English before that, right? Everybody knows that. It would be difficult, I would assume, as one who would need to read a tape measure. You can move to the next slide, that's fine. If uh, I was trying to read it in English and you were trying to read it in uh, Swahili, that would be very difficult, wouldn't it? What's that number? I don't don't know what he's saying. See how easily that works to stop all of that work that's going on? In the latter portion of the book, you have four great people. Abraham. Abraham. The father of the faithful. The one through whom the bloodline of Christ is going to come. The one who will be referenced throughout the other 65 books of the Bible. Back to Abraham. Back to Abraham. Back to Abraham. It's 4,000 years removed when Jesus walks on this earth and those Jews would still trace themselves back to Abraham. 
When you move from Abraham, you move to a boy or a young fellow by the name of Isaac, who we studied uh, last week-ish. Nope. The week before, whenever it was. We studied about him being uh, the sacrifice that Abraham made. We noticed him being a picture of Jesus the Christ. Out of all of these men, he had one wife. Just as Jesus the Christ has one bride. See, Jacob, in the latter portion of the, the book of Genesis, we see Jacob, whose life starts out pretty rough, <laughs> to say the least. His name means supplanter or, or trickster, deceiver. Eventually, he has it changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And when we hear that name, that name Israel, that spurs a lot of information in our minds, doesn't it? He has a son. He has 12, but he has one that he dearly loves. The last 10 or so, maybe even 12 chapters of the book of Genesis deal exclusively with this son named Joseph. And when land is divided up in the next chapter, we'll, or in the next book, we'll find out why Joseph doesn't get any. All you down front know why, don't you? Mm-hmm. When you and I look at this book, this book known as Genesis... We see the beginning of a cord that will run through the entirety of the Bible. That cord by which God will redeem and rescue and save mankind. It all starts right here. Does that make sense for that book? Good, that's the introduction. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3. Here are the facts of the case. They're in the garden. It's only two of them. There are only two humans on earth. They are in a place called paradise. They're given a command, don't eat that tree. They do anyway and sin. And then they're separated from God. A place they should be, but decide for themselves that they're too good to be back with God. And so then the question becomes this. Adam, where are you? By the way, just a side note here. Adam is their married name. But in this particular instance... Adam is male and singular. Who's God speaking to? He's speaking to Adam. Not Adam as a collective family, but Adam the man. It is the fact that God does not ask questions, even for us today, for information. He didn't ask him, where are you? Because he didn't know where he was geographically. You're telling me the God who knows everything doesn't know where Adam is geographically? No. When he asks this question, he asks this question for Adam's contemplation. 
Adam, where do you think you are? Adam, do you think you're in the same place you were yesterday? Adam, where are you? Fathers, husbands. The majority of this study tonight will be upon us. We'll bring the others into it in a moment, but the majority of this study is going to be on us. Our world, it's broken. The world's broken. We live in a broken nation, broken state, broken county, broken city, broken neighborhoods, broken homes. We might even say, well, I'm, I'm just a broken man and you know, I'm trying to do what I can do for my family. Let me tell you something. If you're a broken man, you're going to have a broken home. That home's going to be part of a broken congregation, which is going to be a part of a broken community, which is going to be part of a broken county, which is going to be a part of a broken state, which is going to be a part of a broken nation, which is why the world is broken. Stop looking at yourself like you're broken. You're redeemed. You're bought back to God by the blood of Jesus the Christ. And if I'm a redeemed man and a holy man and a godly man, then I have a godly home. And that godly home is part of a sound godly congregation. And that sound godly congregation kind of makes footprint in the city in which it is. And in the county. And in the state. And in our nation. And then we become the lights of the world. Almost as if it's a command. But it all begins with how I see me. I'm not broken. I'm redeemed. And as I am redeemed, I am called by God to be holy. And so are you, gentlemen. Let's take a moment and look at the question. When God asked this question, Adam gave up his spiritual head of the household. Why? Why did Adam move? Was it peer pressure? Well, I, I hate to say it was because there wasn't but one other person there, and he blames her himself, so I'm not going to blame her. She already gets the blame. Was it ignorance? Not really. He knew what was going to happen. The day thou shalt eat of it, thou shalt surely die. And if you read that in its literal translation, it would say, dying ye shall die. It's an ultimate death penalty. You're going to die. You're going to begin to die here on earth, but you're going to be dead, dead spiritually. There's only one time in the King James Version of the Bible, and that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, where the phrase, usurp authority, is ever made to mention. But I'm going to tell you this, you are looking at a case in point in which it happened. Either Adam was not willing to take the, the responsibility of being the father and the husband, or he was willing to push it off on her, but it is the fact that God asks him, where are you? Why did you move? 
He's dead. We want to know where Adam is? He's dead. He finds himself in a spiritual place where there is no rebound for him. Sometimes we look at the idea of being uh, the spiritual head of the family as the fathers and say, well, what if I don't know as much as this father or that father or even my lovely bride? To which question we have to ask ourselves this question, do you study as much as they do? You think God just kind of opens their head and pours that information in there? It's W-O-R-K. We have to work to be that way. And by the way, God never said I had to be the most intellectual, I had to be the intellectual giant in my house to lead my house the right way. You're not called to be the most educated. Fathers and husbands, we are called to be responsible. Responsible, not necessarily educated. Not more educated than any other. We are responsible. And in this case, in, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam gave up his responsibility. and said, I'm not going to do it. Notice what else he loses. He loses himself personally. Why did Adam move? Even if Eve decided, I'm going to do this and no one's going to tell me what to do. Even if that was the case, why then did Adam move? This is not only a spiritual question. Now for him, it's a personal question. Was it out of ignorance? It's the same answer to the couple of slides back. Dying ye shall die. Adam, do you not understand this? Oh, I think he understood. Was it because of fear? I don't know. That Adam right there should be capitalized. Like our spell check didn't catch that. I'm not sure that Adam wanted to put himself aside in order to follow God. Let that statement sink in for a moment. I don't think Adam was willing to put himself aside to follow God. Because in the choices he makes, gentlemen, in this particular scenario found in Genesis chapter 3, what he was willing to do was put God aside and continue down his own path. And he's going to lose himself in this particular process Adam moved God off of the throne. And we wonder why Cain did the same thing. How many times, gentlemen, have you heard this statement or one very much akin to it? Let me tell you what your daughter or son did today. You know, here's what I figured out. When they are very unflattering, they act like me. Why? Because that's the example I've given them. 
you know what? Let's just be real frank about this, gentlemen. When they act unflattering, it's because that's the example you've given them. None of us are exempt. We see, we see Adam here moving God off the throne, and we think just, a few, or just one chapter later, why would Cain do something like that? Why would he not? He gave up his family. He gave up his spirituality. He gave up his, his personal life. He gave up his family. Why did Adam lead her away? Did, did he not realize what he was doing? Could, could he not imagine what dying you shall die really means? Here's what he did. He gave up his God. And he gave up his God-given task. He gave up his duty as a father and a husband to follow what was wrong. He put his family on the back burner in order to do what he wanted to do. A Barna poll came out a few years ago. And the answers are three and 79. So there you go. I don't even have to tell you what it was about, do I? Question is this. How many of you in this poll had a faithful father at home to any religious organization and you are faithful to that religious organization today? Those who said we did not have a faithful father, 3%. Those who said we do have a faithful father to that particular religious group, and we are still a part of it, 79%. Do you see the difference? And we ask ourselves, what happens to our children when they leave our nest and they, they, they leave God and they don't come back? 3%, 79%. Brother, we got... Gentlemen, we got to stop this before it get, gets to the point where they leave our house. This is us. When Adam stopped doing his job, his family was, was doomed. When Adam stopped doing his job, what happened to the family? They sinned. Refusal to follow God resulted in the death of his entire family. Now, Fathers, let me ease off of you for a minute. Let's talk about all the rest of y'all. There are other people in the house to consider when speaking about husbands and fathers. And it is the fact that the wife and the children are there. And as those wife and children are there, and as the husband is trying to lead, then the, the wife and the children need to be followers. You know, it's... It's real difficult to lead and to fight for leadership all at the same time. I'm either going to lead or we're going to fight about it, but I can't lead and fight you at the same time. If he's leading, follow. Give him some support. Help him out. Don't make him feel like he's on an island. The man of the house, ultimately, 
loves the man that's seen on the cross. The man on the house who wants to lead is the man who follows that man who's on the cross. The man of the house who wants to follow after God teaches others to follow that man that's found on the cross. All of that is found in Genesis chapter number 3. You and I, as men, need to have the opportunity to teach our family what is right, what is holy, and what is good. And we never, never need to stand before God and have Him say, where exactly do you think you are? Maybe it is that you haven't led the home because you haven't been faithful. I haven't uh, put on Christ in baptism. You know, there's a, there's a whole pool of water back here. And there's some nice dry clothes right up there. And with your belief and repentance, confession, and baptism, you can be added to the church tonight. Maybe it's hard. I know it is, to be the head of the household. Maybe you find yourself difficult in times to, uh, to lead properly. But the fact of the, is, the matter is, Father, we have to lead our children to heaven. Maybe you haven't been doing that because of an example. Tonight's a good night to start. Why don't you come back home to a God that misses you? Why don't you come back home to a family that loves you? And want your children to go to heaven just as badly as you do. And do that right now while we stand and sing for your encouragement. There's a fountain of grief.